The term passionate is a word thrown around and overused. Mountain life has become a hashtag for wannabe influencers. These words can overshadow and diminish the incredible people who actually live, work and play in the mountains. They have remarkable stories to tell and I'm on a mission to find them. I'm Ashley Pettit and this is the Beyond the Mountains podcast. My guest today is Christy Shelley and not Kirsty Shelley. She's a fellow Aussie and was a self-confessed ski bum in her youth. She chased the fresh power across the northern and southern hemispheres as a ski instructor. Before she finally decided to go to the Hollywood of big mountain sports, Chamonix. And like so many people before her, the allure and attraction of Sham was hard to resist. She soon realized that this was a place she wanted to live but needed to make a living. So she enrolled in a rolfing school and became a qualified rolfer, which is a unique and specialized type of body therapy, a perfect way to earn a living in a place where people are obsessed with being outdoors and pursuing active lifestyles. She's built a reputation and strong, successful business, helping people to live pain-free and restore movement and mobility so that mountain athletes and regular people like you and I can pursue our passions for sports and being outdoors in the mountains. This was an interesting meeting and now with hindsight, one I'd wish I'd prepared better for. Christy has a wealth of knowledge and a passion for mobility and and movement. I only scratched the surface, so I think I'm gonna have to have her on the show again in the future. So let's call this part one. Hello friends, I'm your host, Ashley Pettit, and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Mountains podcast, where I talk to people who live, work, and play in the mountains. Let's start the intro music, get on with the show, Alon Z. Hi, my name is Christy Shelley. I'm an Australian rolfer lost in the French Alps. I like to ski, climb and paraglide. Um, My love for the outdoors uh, is what brought me to the mountains and this is my mountain life. All right, Christy Shelley. I got my name wrong. Christy, Christy, damn it. All right, take two. Okay. Christy Shelley, thanks for coming on my show. Thanks for inviting me. Lovely to meet you. So one of the questions I'm always asked, especially by all the French people I meet in my small village is, how did I end up here in in the French Alps and especially the small village, but how did you end up here in in Chamonix? Um, Well, I moved here, I guess, in my late 20s. Um, And I moved here because it was was, you know, Hollywood for ski mountaineering. So my, uh, I'd always wanted to come here. Um, and at that time, I think it was around 2008, 2009, um, I was working as a ski instructor in America. Um, and, uh, the economy crisis took away our visas. So it, um, that's what brought me here. I could work here and yeah, I always wanted to come here. My partner who I was seeing at the time had some friends here. So we thought, let's go. 
Hang, out, hang out in Hollywood, ski or Hollywood. <laughs> it is really the mecca of Alpine Zoom and Alpine sports here in, in Europe, isn't it? It's the mecca. Yeah, and when I got, I mean, initially I was really nervous about coming out here because my uh, language skills are really bad. Um, but once I got here, it's so um, international. Uh, yeah, my job, what I do as a rolfer, definitely integrated well with the people who live here. Um, there's athletes and, and um you know, regular people that live here too, business people, seasonaires, uh, workers. So my job integrated nicely. So take me back to Australia because I'm enjoying listening to the Aussie accents because it's uh, very rare I live. And uh, but take me back to Australia because you you obviously were a skier in Threadbow, and a lot of Engl- a lot of French people and Europeans don't know we have pretty good ski resorts in uh, in Australia. So take me back to Oz. Yeah, well, someone told me once that there's more snow covered. Uh, land in Australia than there is in Switzerland. Um, I'm sure it's all flat and not very steep like it is here in Europe, but yeah, that is uh, something, a statistic someone threw out to me one day. One day. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, I skied in Threadbow since I was six or seven, um, you know, just going down on school holidays and whatnot with the family. And then when I turned 18, my parents said, we're not paying for your ski holidays anymore. So the one way I could fund my ski holidays or my, my ski love for skiing was to become a ski instructor. So I left Australia probably at around 19, 20 years old and moved to oh, wow. Whistler with all the other Australians. Oh, straight to Canada, <laughs> the big mountains. Yeah, straight straight there um, and uh, became a ski instructor, which allowed me to get better at skiing, um, fulfill my passion for skiing. And then in 2001, I was ripe old age of 21, I had a major ski accident. So I fell off a 100-metre cliff there, wow. uh, broke my face in 23 places, have plastic eye sockets. Um, and it was really this incident that made me decide or make the life decision to want to move to the mountains permanently. Um, cause after that ski accident, I got shipped back to Australia. I had a hard time getting a job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my face was all black and blue. So, and the only people that would take me on for work was uh, Threadbow, uh, and as a ski instructor. So I ended up going down there, even though the doctors told me not to ski for at least a year cause the head injuries yeah. prone to more head injuries. Um, yeah, so I went straight back into ski school and then I did the back-to-back winter for 12 years. In 12 wow. years, I had two summers. Yeah, so one summer in, in France and one summer in Mammoth Lakes, California. Um, so it was yeah. back and forth between Whistler and Australia? A bit of everything. So Whistler, Australia, Copper Mountain, um, Breckenridge. All the North American ones. Yeah, North American. Mammoth Lakes was the last one. Uh, And then, yeah, the economy crisis, they took away our visas as ski instructors, so I came to France. And let's just keep going and talk about skiing, but there is a difference between American ski culture and European and French ski culture. Yes, uh, and that's – I think that's – yeah, totally. Um, America's corporate, so all the ski, ski resorts are owned by corporations. Yeah. So that that's one thing. Uh, plus the ski conditions are totally different. So if you want to have powder skiing, that's definitely the place to go. They can do a lot – they do a lot more um, 
snowmobiling and helicopter mm-hmm. skiing, whereas in Europe it's just more – if you want to go big, you got to go ski touring. Yeah, ski touring, yeah. Yeah, big mountains. Um, and to be honest, I haven't been to too many other ski resorts within Europe other than the ones around Chamonix, so I can't comment too much. You probably have a better idea. On my my <laughs> valley, it's all – if you want to go big, you got to go ski touring. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, there's no – uh, powered engines or anything in, mm-hmm. in where I live. Mm-hmm. All right, so some time in North America learning to ski and soaking up the big corporate ski culture over there and then obviously landed here in Chamonix. How did that come about? Um. So, well, it came about because it was Hollywood of ski mountaineering and I always wanted to get better at that. Um, and then once I landed here, it was easy for me to work. Um, and my job was conducive to, uh, the type of people that live here. Uh, so everyone, Chamonix is a very diverse sort of place to live in terms of who lives here. You've got lots of foreigners, but you've got, uh, professional mountain people. Plus you've got families, you've got workers, you've got seasonaires and it's a year round population. So it makes it very livable in terms yeah. of working. So you don't have to leave into season. Um, so yeah, I really like living here. So now I'm stuck here now. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Just because my, my job is year round and, um, yeah, no, I really like it. It's It's not a bad place to be stuck. And everyone here, even though you've got sporty people and non-sporty people, everyone is here for the same reason, which is just to enjoy the outdoors and the mountains. You don't have to be a sport person to live here at all. Do you you find one of the things I've noticed, especially where I live, when I go hiking, I see a lot of elderly people, people in their 60s, 70s and 80s still out enjoying the mountains and walking and hiking. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have that same uh, mentality as in Australia. Mm-hmm. We don't – the elderly people aren't out as active or mobile as they are here in Europe or especially Germany in the mountains. Do you, is that something you find? Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Some of the mountain guides are, you know, old guys and you're like, oh, my God, surely that guy's going to ski me down the Valley of Lunch. Uh, yeah, smoking cigarettes and yeah. hanging out. They just they go all the way to the end. You know, the, the – and when I first moved here, actually, I was late 20s. And one of the things I noticed, I was like, man, the ski bums here are so old. Yeah. You know, they're all in their 40s, you know, with no jobs, traveling around, you know, on the on unemployment for season to season just so they could ski a lot. Whereas where I'd come from in North America, that sort of ski bum culture was really amongst the 20-year-olds. Um, but, uh, yeah, so when I moved here, the ski bum culture was was forever. Yeah, if you just want to be like a, a permanent seasonal worker totally. so you can get your time off and go skiing, especially if it's a fresh powder day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you ever done that, So you know, just taken a day off because the snow condition is so good? Um, well, when, up until probably <laughs> when I turned 30, I thought I should take my life more seriously. So that's when I became, uh, started studying for rolfing. So that's yeah. when I started my rolfing education. So up until then, everything was just about skiing. Um, so I can't say I just took off a day to go skiing because every day was just about skiing. Yeah. Um, now as a, you know, 43 year old adult who has a real job, um, I definitely find I can predict it. So if there is a good snow day, yeah. particularly if it's in Italy, so to get to Italy, you have to drive through the Mont Blanc tunnel, which can be a lineup of traffic. It's a 10 minute tunnel. You've got to find parking on the other side. So if you go over there, you're going for the day. Oh, yeah. And quite often if it's not snowing in the French side, it's snowing in the Italian side. 
So I can literally wake up in the morning, see that it's good snow on the Italian side and my all my clients aren't going to show up yeah, that day. so you can just get reschedule your clients. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I can predict that a little bit. But I do have a bit of a rule unless I have – if I have any more than three clients, I try not to push them around because uh, you end up moving them to the next day, the next day, the next day, and yeah. the days gets you full. But, yes, it's um, one of the nice things about my clientele and living here is there's lots of flexibility in my work. And, um, yes, people totally get it. If you need to push their appointment to the next day or yeah. the next day. Yeah. They're, and they're oh, doing, they're and they're doing, people, aren't they? yes. And they're doing it back to you. So yeah. no, it's fine. I actually, I don't think I could function now. If someone booked an appointment in four weeks time, I'm not sure if I would be able to cope with it. <laughs> Tell me about Chamonix for those who haven't heard of Chamonix. Like let's say we're back in Australia and, you're now living here as a local. Tell me about Chamonix as a tourist destination and tell me as about a, as a local some of the secret, you know, some of the places you'd like to go here. Mm-hmm. Well, I moved like, here. Where is Chamonix? You, let's yep. start with that. So Chamonix is in the French Alps. It's uh, below Mont Blanc, which is the highest, arguably the highest peak in Europe. Um, it's not far from Geneva Airport, so you drive into, you'd fly into Geneva, and it's an hour, hour and a half uh, bus ride or drive to Chamonix. Um, it's pretty unique like that because it is probably one of the only sort of ski areas that you can have a highway straight through it, uh, which does make it a bit busy. And um, yeah, so it's on the border of Switzerland and Italy. So within an hour, you can be in two different cultures, yeah, uh, which makes it also a unique uh, place to be. Um, yeah. So that's your question. Yeah. It, it's also, um, just the, surrounded by incredible mountains, isn't it? Yes. And mountains a, and glaciers is the glaciers is, is what gets me the first time I came here. So it's a steep valley. So it's a very narrow, um, steep valley. So everything is looking up. It's not rolling hills or vast open spaces, which makes it very unique. Um, the history here is fantastic. Actually, one interesting thing about um my uh myself is that have you ever heard of percy shelley Percy Shelley, or no. um, uh, Mary Shelley. She wrote Frankenstein. Yes, I've heard of Mary Shelley. So I didn't realise this until after I moved here, but those two, so Byron, uh, Mary and uh, Percy, uh, basically hired a guide from Geneva, walked up here to the Merida Glass, you stayed in the Montanvers hut up there, got stoned and drunk, and that's how uh, Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a true local. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so that's um that's a bit of interesting history. So the history here is amazing because it was so remote back then, and now there's a highway straight through it. Yeah, I mean this is where alpinism was was born. This is where steep skiing is born. Hopefully, I get to interview people from this place that uh, pioneered steep skiing. Mm-hmm. But um, what about some of the places like where do you go when you want to go skiing? Like, is there you could just go anywhere now? But do you have a, a favorite place? Uh, yeah, Grand Monte is pretty nice. It's definitely the go-to in the area. Um, the lift to the top it burnt down not so long ago, so it makes it a little bit more interesting to ski tour up there and access the Argentier Glacier. Uh, so that's definitely my favourite place to go. Yeah. Uh, the Argentier Glacier is um, – the one thing I like about it is you can hike up a couloir or hike up a, a, a something there and then come back down the glacier and back down to Chamonix. You can go over to Switzerland from there or other places um, – uh, but one of the things that I like about that valley is you can just go shopping, see what's on condition and yeah. um, and choose something from the bottom. Yeah, the scariest thing or, you know, one of the intimidating things is when you're 
boot packing up one side and you're not sure what the snow conditions are going to be on the other side. So that's, that's what makes it uh, one of my favourite spots. Yeah. And what about uh, if friends come to visit, where do you take them? Like, uh, with, say, it's at the dinner, you got a favourite restaurant, uh, boulangerie for uh, um, breakfast? <clears throat> I, I guess, let me think. Um, <laughs> I asked you not to ask me about names. Um, yeah, I mean, I have favourite restaurants and boulangeries, no, for sure. But, it, I mean, it's, it is an international place. You've got food from all over oh, the world. Oh, yeah, I have friends that come over from uh, Verbier. Well, the Charbes, which is on the Swiss side of Mont Blanc, and she loves food, so she just comes here. So when we go out to dinner, because she, because where she is in Verbier, there's not it's all Savoy food and boring restaurants. Oh. Whereas here we have Thai food, Indian yes. food, um, Chinese food. Uh, yeah, it's not just French food. You can have uh, Savoy food if you want to, or other things. So no, it's a really nice um, village, and I'd say a lot of the tourism is people just coming here to hang out in the village. So yeah. most of the tourism goes up the Agudamadi just to sightsee, um, have restaurants, drink coffee, and the social scene at night. So the bars and restaurants are um, super fun if you're yeah. if you're a foreigner. I personally am not a really big bar and restaurant person, <laughs> so I can't recommend uh, names really. What about um, the local bread and boulangeries and? Pay- Pastries, is that something you? Uh, yeah, so the boulangerie patisserie uh, thing when I first moved here was definitely uh, something you had to look into because baguettes, baguette making here is a skill yeah, of its own yeah. and people are famous for that. Uh, but Richard's are very good, it's probably the best bakery in Chamonix. Um, so they make uh, the best croissants and boulangerie food, if you like. And being a good Aussie girl, you probably love your coffee or coffee love culture. Love coffee. So there's a good coffee place just near your uh, near yeah, your office here. Yeah, totally. And there's uh, so one of the things the trap here in Chamonix is once you leave Chamonix, you can't get a very good coffee. I so know. You're, <laughs> you're always making sure you leave after eight so you can grab a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, the coffee culture. Everyone knows what a flat white is. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, when I came here in June, I was surprised by the accents in all the different bars. I met a, a young kid that says, "Oh yeah, my dad's got a, um, a house in Bali. We we ski, uh, surf there, and then Welsh and English and uh, lots of Asian tourists and Americans. The accents and the the countries uh, from here it's mm-hmm. incredible. So mm-hmm. different from where I live. So yeah, it's a terrible place to learn French. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and how, speaking of French, how is your your uh, French? It's okay. I can get by. So yeah. I can get through my job. I can, you know, get through my social French is just not very good. Yeah. So at a dinner party, I'm mute. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I can get by. I get by, but the thing I'm struggling with is asking questions. Like mm-hmm. I can talk to you, but how to ask different questions is the thing I'm trying to practice and get better oh, with. Oh, yeah. Once you can argue in French, yeah. you're fluent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's uh, – we've sort of touched on where you live – Let's talk about work, what you do for work because uh, I hadn't I hadn't really heard of rolfing before. Mm-hmm. And you, I know looking and we had this conversation, you do more than just rolfing. It's a whole holistic, total body approach to helping people enjoy their lives in the mountains. Yeah, so I turned 30 and was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I had to create a job for myself at some sort. I was living in a foreign country, France, couldn't speak the language. Um, My education that I had up to that date, which was I did a diploma of remedial massage in Australia, 
and ski instructing. So all of the qualifications and skills that I had were completely unrecognized here. Um, so I had to be a little bit creative. Um, uh, so I came over here. So yeah, at 30, I tried to figure out what to do. And the closest thing I'd been rolfed actually, when I was after my skiing accident. Yeah. So my skiing accident was when I was 21 and a year later I had just incredible right hip pain coming from nowhere. And because it was a head injury, all of the focus was on your brain and reviving your brain and, and you know, it was lethal. And so 12 months later I couldn't ride a bike, I couldn't walk up a hill. Um, it was nobody knew what it was and I worked with a rolfer in Mammoth Lakes in California and completely took my pain away completely. Yeah. And I remember on a, I was, had started working at Threadbow already and I was balancing on a fitball and jumped off the fitball maybe 12 months after my uh, series of rolfing and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, I've got a sore hip. So I completely forgotten about it. And so at that point, I guess I was 23 or 24, I thought, when I grow up, I'm <laughs> going to be a rolfer. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I reached to reach the ripe old age of 30, which I wasn't sure I was ever going to make, um, being a ski bum and ski mountaineering up until that age. Uh, so there was a Rolf Institute, uh, in Munich at that time. So it was the, yeah, so they taught in English, um, and it was the closest thing that sort of fitted what I wanted to do for a living. Explain um, you what rolfing is. Because so it's not just massage, it's more than that. Yeah, so rolfing was developed by a woman called Ida Rolf, uh, originally in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And so she, that's why it's called rolfing. Yeah. It's named up after Ida Rolf. But it's working on fascia. So fascia is uh, the connective tissue between your bones, your organs, your nerves, um, and its primary role is to disperse pain. So you can have a sort of a problem in your neck, for example, and you have radiating pain into your shoulder. Or um, And then the other quality it has is for proprioception. So it sort of helps you understand where you are in space. Um, plus it holds, it stops your kidneys from floating up behind your ear. It yeah. ke keeps everything in, in place and you have something that's called fascial glide. So in movement, it's what separates your tissues from one another. So if you have a fascial restriction, whether it be organ, bone or nerve or muscle, um, that fascial restriction is like a spider web. So if you can imagine a spider web and you poke one end of the spider web, which is the fascial restriction, all of the spider web bundles around that finger. Uh, so that's kind of what fascia looks like. Yeah. So I was trying to think, what is it? And it's like, it's like the, the, the casing of a sausage sort of mm -hmm. covers covers all the muscles and the tendons and everything. Yeah, yeah. And for many years, uh, so they use, the fascia was sort of discovered in dissection. So the fascia is what differentiates tissue. And you know, originally they just threw it on the floor. They didn't think it was important. Um, and then, sort of forty years ago, they looked at it under a microscope and realised that it was full of nerve endings and it did. It was an organ of its own. Um, so Ida Rolf was sort of part of that uh, discovery. So she even has a a scientific institute that, that still studies fascia to this day um, and they're learning more and more and more about different conditions that are associated with fascia and, yeah, so it's um, super trendy right now. Yeah. So it's <laughs> uh, it's a unique form of massage treatment or treatment for uh, what sort of treatment can you do, like injuries or muscular, you know, tell, yeah, tell me so more about it, So a session looks like you'll come in 
and I'll do a postural assessment. So you might stand or walk around the room. I might ask you to do um, some specific movements and you can see the fascial restriction within the movement. Um, so I'll start there. Then during the session, it's palpation. So the palpation versus massage is, is a lot, you're sort of in between the muscle tissue. So you'll find it's called like a, it's what we call it fascial scepter. So it's in between the muscles. Um, or the bones and you're sort of finding the fascial restriction holding it and then calling for movement so either I'll move the arm if I'm working on the forearm or I'll ask you to move yeah. and so during that movement process you are re-establishing the proprioceptive quality of that tissue that I'm touching um, so what's proprioceptive Proprioception is just where you are in space. Right. So as I'm working on your shoulder, I might move your arm in certain directions. Um, so what's happening on a neurological level is your brain is having to centrate the shoulder um, just by creating that movement as well as holding the tissue in the spot. Yeah. And so I have would kind of know about that, like I sprained my ankle once and so that my it wasn't a Rolf, it was a, just a physio. He would tell me to stand on one leg that was sprained and just close my eyes and try to keep my balance. Mm -hmm. To me, that's proprioceptive. Totally. Yeah. That's um, that's uh, fascia. That's yeah. fascia. Yep. So what else? Uh, let's say I come here and it's either a sprained ankle or a shoulder or I've got headaches. What else, What sort of treatments? What do, what do the normal people present here to you? What sort of injuries uh, or treatments? So I would say everyone's a little bit different because Chamonix, the diversity here is fantastic. So when I first moved here, I was just a ski bum. So as far as I'm concerned, the only reason why I'd come here was to go skiing. Yeah. And when I became a rolfer, all of these runners started coming in here. Yeah, well, and, and I'm, like, UTB I'm like, why are you running? I mean, there's so many other cool things to do here. Um, so then, you know, of course, run, they were my first uh, first athletes that came in, uh, lots of families, lots of workers. So it was before pre-Brexit. So you were getting lots of people that would come here every weekend, yet work back in London. Um, so the things, I get a bit of everything yeah. and also it does depend on the season. So ski season, for example, is coming up. Uh, so you'd get lots of lower back stuff. And then usually it's just because you haven't been in a, that position for such a long time because uh, of summer. So you will see a lot of, you know, pre, uh, after the snow hits, people going skiing, you'll see lots of lower back stuff come in. Uh, climbers obviously have shoulder impingements, um, elbow stuff. Uh, there's tons of office workers. So yeah. you've got the neck and shoulder office, yeah, all the office saver, computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all live in this sort of flexed position, whether it's our sport or our work, it's all inflection. So I think, Session number one is really about opening up the chest, learning how to breathe, um, yeah, just re-establishing some of those proprioceptive qualities in breathing uh, because before you can even go ahead after that, you need to be able to have established um, a connection with how you breathe because breathing is very, very important for movement and proprioception. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, habitual habits, you know, we develop over the time that just lead to further injuries, I guess. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it just depends on what they come in with. Yeah. So the first you um, – And you, it doesn't have to be injuries. I mean, no. there's lots of people. The original Ida Rolf is a 10 series, so you come in for 10 sessions over a period of time, and it's a real evolution um, – 
for that person. So you can come in with nothing. You just want to explore how your body works. So I've had people come in just being like, oh, I want to understand my movement and my body. And I like to think that I'm different from other therapists that I try and explain to you uh, like biomechanical movements and anatomy so you understand because I do believe that um, placebo is an amazing thing. So if you understand why you have, or not why, but the limitations within your body, you can heal yourself. Yeah. Your therapist is just there to help you heal yourself. Yeah. The body and the connectivity, like, for example, if you've got a, an ankle injury, that can lead to pain in your knees and your hips. So there's all stuff that's all linked in throughout the body. Uh, is that is it is that something, is that... Correct, or am I making it up? For or? sure. So you, but the brain has an amazing ability to adapt. So if you have a um, ankle injury, or you're just someone who has thinks that you have stiff ankles, uh, yes, your body has to learn to adapt to that. Um, so, for example, I have a client right now who has an ankle fusion, and if you watch this person walk, you're like, "How is this person walking without pain?" Yeah, uh, their knee completely like dislocated. It's every step they take, you know, around their ankle. Um, and I corrected their, their knee and, in fact, created more knee pain. So that person has adapted to that yeah. movement and that's how they have to move and that's what they do. However, the repercussion of that is it's you're doing this slight limp um, so it creates a lot of SI pain, lower back pain. Um, and some of these things are just uh, helping this person learn what movements they can do and what they can't do because your belief system also has uh, is is part of that. So, for example, that person thinks that they can't squat because they have a fused ankle. Yeah. But squatting is all about hip mobility. So it turns out this person's hip mobility is just terrible. So we're working on hip mobility and believe it or not, um, one of their problems is every time I go skiing, I've stopped skiing actually, because my lower back hurts so much. And so through this, uh, exploration of hip mobility and being able to move, uh, without pain has completely almost got rid of their pain during skiing. Um, cause it's not necessarily having a fused ankle doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to be able to go skiing. No, it's no. Just, yeah. Yeah, you just have to learn to to adapt to that movement and um, you. that's why I like to use anatomical turns with my clients because it's like, okay, well, this is how your hip works. So if you're keeping your knees and ankles at, at this right degrees, then you can squat quite easily. And, there's, and if you can't squat because you've, you know, in the age whether you've got arthritis or whatnot, there is definitely ways that you can explore movements, tools, uh, so T-Rex the, yeah. uh, and things that you can actually get to a squat and, and explore a range of motion within your pelvis. So, yeah, mobility is obviously a big buzzword at the moment and your your background is in rolfing, but, you know, looking at your website, you've done a lot more training to to, to be able to, work with a whole range of people and problems and do preventative and uh, treatment sessions. So tell me about how that has evolved in your professional career. Yeah, so movement, uh, rolfing is predominantly just soft tissue work or I use it uh, as a soft tissue technique. Um, how there, And there are some movement uh, rolfing modalities, but the things that I uh, branched off to, my, during my rolfing education I was really interested in the nervous system. Um, so I continued, did a t- continuing education 
um, studying the nervous system and the anatomy of the nerves, uh, which of course led down to understanding that the brain is part of your nervous system and they're one of the same. Um, and movement, proprioception, uh, all comes into that. So led me down to, I did a Pilates teacher training. Um, at the moment I'm going through a kettlebell training because yeah. I think as you're aging, uh, weightlifting is, is super key. Um, and during the learning of these things, that's how you learn your own sort of restrictions and problems in your body and how to work with those because being out in the mountains and solely just doing mountain sports is you're constantly in a fright or flight situation. You're skiing down a mountain and you're just trying to get to the bottom surviving. Whereas when you're in the gym or in your therapist's room and you're weightlifting, you're determining the difference between left and right. You're exploring your range of motions and your restrictions and it's allowing you um, that understanding of your own body. So when you get into the mountains, you, your adaptability is so much better. So when you fall skiing or climbing, whatever you're doing, your injury is going to be a lot, your body is going to be a lot more adaptable to the injury, um, or the fall and potentially not get yeah. injured. Ah, that's pretty interesting though, the way the brain and, and the body's all in the nervous system is all pretty linked. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're one of the same. They used to think the brain and the, the mind and the body are separate, but they're completely together. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about that. Um, I don't know. Give me a specific point. Um, or what, so what part of that interests you? I don't know. It's just Maybe like. Maybe the ageing body. Yeah. The, you know, if we, we, I want to ski until I'm 70 or 80. There's obviously things I need to keep doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think, uh, so back to sort of weightlifting. So my, my, um, the modality that I like the most is kettlebells. So kettlebells is uh, before you can weightlift, whether it be kettlebells or any weightlift, you have to have mobility. So uh, you first go through a process of creating mobility through rolfing, uh, um, movement things, stretching, mobilising the body. Um, and then once you can find mobility, you then have to stack your joints. So if you think your your spine has to be stacked on top of each other, you need your curves in your back are there to absorb, um, uh, to for absorption, absorption load. Uh, your shoulders need to be centrated. Your pelvis needs to be able to come in and out of neutral, so move both ways. And once you're, you have the mobility, your bones will stack on top of each other and then you can weight lift. So weightlifting is a whole process. So once you have that mobility, stability and capacity to load the body, you're going to be able to continue your skiing or your climbing or whatever it is that you like to do throughout your whole entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And then injury, of course, is a big one. So if you get injured during that time, that can be um, a big thing, especially for people in Chamonix because you have to stop yeah, Stop doing, doing what you you're doing, yeah. So that's um, tricky because people will generally work through their injury. But there are other things you can do when you're injured, like weightlifting. Um, uh, you know, you can you in Pilates. You don't have to be standing to do that. For example, uh, climbers are the worst clients, by the way. They wow. are, are always um, want to climb through their injury. Yeah, there it is uh, by far um, the the my least favorite client. <laughs> Um, I shouldn't say that. They're my favourite yeah. client, but they are the client that will continue climbing. So, and some therapists refuse to see people like that. I, I have done so in, in the past, um, but 
I try and work with that. So if you're going to continue climbing during your injury, we try and work with that. But you have to be aware that it's going to be a lot slower. You know, there's going to be sort of adaptive things that you do, which means you create compensations. So you're going to have an injury. So whatever you do, uh, walking, even if it's your wrist, you will create uh, compensation patterns when and you walk. And will go further up the limb too. Well, yeah, because you will swing your arms forward and back, right? Yeah. So if, you're, if your limb, if your wrist is broken or you have a wrist problem or elbow problem, you'll probably find yourself walking around the street just moving one arm, for example, yeah. and then it follows up into the shoulder and the spine. So, yeah, it's these compensation patterns of continuously moving um after injury and I like working on those those are the hardest things to work on so if you had a wrist injury 10 years ago and now you've got chronic neck pain um, they're the hardest ones to work with because tr- there's so many layers so every time you have an adaptation or an injury there's another layer of compensation so these are by far the hardest people to work with uh, but, but but also the most interesting Something I uh, so something I thought of uh, yesterday was a lot of um, I don't I think it's back to aging and aging well. I think that it's not until you sort of hit your forties that you start to think about that. So your twenties and thirties are very much so your twenties. You get injured, you just work through it. Yeah. Your injuries stay there through your thirties. Um, compensation patterns keep coming, and it's not until you get to your forties, which is when you start to realize that. You you have lack of mobility. And so then at 50s, depending on your um, your DNA, is when you're sort of you can, you can happen earlier, of course, but you have calcification, uh, stiffness, arthritis, which will prevent mobility in the future. So this is one of the reasons why it's so important to keep that mobility, stability and strength from the first injuries that you have or stress that you have when you're in your 20s and 30s because those restrictions do stay there forever. So by the time you get to your 40s and 50s, it's not the end of the – it's not too late, but you're having to work an adaptation within your restricted movement. So You've had bad habits that are going to continue and and – slow the decline or fasten the decline of your... um... Yeah, it's just, it's more just when you enter your, start to get arthritic and calcified structures, it's, um, they stay like that forever. Yeah. Yeah, so if you have rounded shoulders and you come into your 50s, you're, it's going to be very hard to reduce the rounded shoulders. It doesn't mean that you can't find pain-free movement within a rounded shoulder or arthritic uh, upper back. Um, certainly not. So you can still come in when you're 50s and we'll explore movement and we'll make the, as much freedom as we can within those uh, restricted structures. Um, it's just that if you want to age well, I think... 40 is a great time to start. So if you're 40 years old and uh, you're starting to feel those restrictions in movement, it's time to find some ability, create some stability and load the body. So when you come into your 50s and 60s and older age, you, um, you're you well adapted. So it's obviously forming lifelong habits of being mobile and stretching and weight bearing and just being more active in life. Those lifelong habits, they'll they'll let you enjoy life longer, I guess. Yeah, and when you come into, um, like a lot of times you see people that don't want to do their sports anymore because they're afraid of being injured. I think if you have understood your body and your injury, you will be... 
you'll be able to go back into the mountains as an older person uh, without that fear of, oh, I can't hurt myself because I'm not going to be able to get, I won't get as better as quickly as I was when I was younger. Uh, So, yeah, because one of your questions was um, something about... uh, um, being able to enjoy the mountains more if we're pain-free and good mobility and movement. So, and it's particularly when you're aging. So people stop doing things. I mean, I I don't think you should stop doing things. I just need, you need to adapt what you're doing to what the capacity is that your body can do. So if you've started that before the calcification and restrictions start, you're going to be able to enter the mountains as an older person, um, not being fearful of injury. Yeah. Which I think uh, psychologically is, is um they have this thing in Chamonix it's called FOMO fear of missing out and it's a big problem. It's pretty, it, but it is addictive here. Like oh yeah, when, Liv, when I live on the show, Liv Sansos, and she's uh, a famous person from Chamonix, mountaineer and alpinist. Mm-hmm. She was saying there's a definite vibe here, and when the conditions are great, it's she's got to calm herself down, and say no, no, the body, I need the rest of the body, otherwise she can keep going because there's so many people want to do it. But that's obviously. It's a thing here. Oh, yeah, definitely. We've had sun now for almost two weeks, maybe even coming into three um, in this October. So yeah. it's uh, been sunny and cold and fresh. The mountain conditions are absolutely perfect. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we all have jobs. Like, there's people like me that work Monday to Friday and and have jobs. So, uh, yeah, you can't um, go outside every day. So you have to find a good work-life balance is actually something I've been trying to work on recently is being able to work enough, play enough and um, feel like you're getting what you want done. Yeah. Um, speaking of October, we're going to be obviously – a month or two away from when the fresh first snow comes, people are obviously going to think about the ski season and, and being active in the mountains. What can people do now in pre- pre- preparing their bodies for the upcoming ski season? Uh, so it is nice to be able to replicate the sport that you're doing. So a skiing is, you know, an active squat with, with gravitational forces, if you like. Um, so recreating that pre-ski season, I'm a little bit biased to the kettlebell swing. Yeah. So if you think about a kettlebell swing, I mean, primarily the first step you have to do is find your pelvic stability muscles and then you're swinging around a, a heavy weight or eventually a heavy weight. So you're it, through gravity. So you're creating these gravitational forces with weight. So I think um, and then you can change the movement. So it's not just a boring kettlebell swing the whole time. You can do one arm swings. You can do snatches. There's lots of different uh, exercises within throwing a kettlebell around, but you're getting that sort of gravitational force so you're doing you're you're doing a bunch of fancy squats uh throwing a weight around in gravity which um creates a nice gravitational force while weightlifting yeah what else can we do like if we're um can we get out there and just walk more stretch more uh, how else can we prepare ourselves for a, a big season, big winter season? So I would say normally at this time of year it's raining. Yes, so we're coming normally, into yeah. we're coming into November, December, and Europe compared to North America, it snows late. So you're lucky to get snow before Christmas. Uh, so getting outside can be not as um, interesting. I would say the average sort of mountain person here will leave the town at that point and go sport climbing in the yeah. south. 
uh, head for warmer weather. So I think realistically you have to uh, maintain something when you're on vacation, when you go sport climbing. So waking up early, doing some sort of uh, leg leg squats, weightlifting squats while you're on holiday. Um, then motivation, depends what, what your motivation is. If you want to go classes, there's some great ski fit apps that you can do because uh, I, I don't think people are wanting to go outside because it's cold yeah, and raining get- and – and you're either on holiday in the south, um, but no, I would say uh, get a ski fit app yeah, and do that every single morning. All right, I'm going to look up and, my sw- ski. and swing a kettlebell around. Yeah, I've got it. I've got a couple of kettlebells. I've been back on those, and I have to get a ski fit app. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the fact that there's a big vibe here in Chamonix, and people are always doing something. How do you play in the mountains? What's your What's your uh, sport of choice what do you like to do when you're not in your office here so my primary sport or the first sport that brought me to the mountains was skiing um so i'm definitely the best at skiing so that's my um most comfortable sport that i like to do uh then after moving to chamonix i got into actually known mammoth lakes i started climbing so yeah. i started rock climbing there more so sport climbing i spent a bunch of time in yosemite placing gear uh, so that was my first love for climbing. And then quickly after that, I moved to Chamonix and then got into sort of more mountaineering type stuff. Uh, so that's my second favourite sport. And then my third favourite sport is paragliding. So paragliding I picked up later in life. It's definitely a love-hate relationship I have. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the scariest thing I do. Um, so, yeah, so paragliding is something I like to do too. Well, you've got a couple of good friends that are really good paragliding pilots, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my uh, um, client list is very good. Yeah. yeah. Liv, Liv Sansa was one of those and you mm-hmm. went flying with Zeb the other week. Yep. How yeah. was it flying with Zeb? Yeah, it was fantastic. He is so uh, relaxed in the mountains. That was probably the most uh, significant thing I took away from that experience. He's just, yeah, yeah, you know, let's do that. Let's yeah. not do that. Um, so that's really nice. He's just so natural at what he does because he's been doing it since he was a kid. Um, so, no, that was super reassuring. He's He knows what he do. he's doing. It uh, was a really fun experience. Any other ways you um, just – like to switch off, turn off and just relax apart from, you know, your sport. Any other ways you uh, switch off? Yeah, my favourite thing at the moment is hot yoga. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, love hot yoga. It's a really um, interesting way to get mobility back because you're in the heat. Um, and after a big day in the mountains when you've lactic, lactic acid is just rancid, it's, uh, yeah, I really like it because it just, after one or two sessions, you are completely lactic acid free. Um, no, that would be my, my one thing I like to do. That was one thing I was going to ask you for is when I was thinking about some questions was, um, hot and cold therapy. Is that something you've explored? Cause I love taking, I'm take a cold shower now, like I finish with the cold showers, especially in the winter. I do it in the winter just because the cold shower for a couple of minutes, it then my body heats up quicker and I'm warm or ready to go skiing. But obviously heat and uh, cold is a great treatment for um, therapy as well. Yeah, so I have a heat lamp in my office, which is this um, funny-looking thing over here. Uh, that's for heat, and then I use a bucket of water, depending if it's what limit is. Obviously you can't stick a bucket of water in everything, so I use an ice pack. So I use hot-cold therapy for inflammation. Um, I think it's very good for lymphatic drainage. Um, so it's also good for pain therapy. So if people have uh, like my 
fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue type things. I think it's very good for that. Uh, but I like to combine the hot and the cold. Yeah. I mean, generally your body is at body temperature anyway, so hence why you can just jump in a freezing cold lake, you're eventually going to get warm. Um, but, no, I think the hot-cold therapy is fantastic for those things. All right. Well, I've talked we're on the subject of play now. I have developed the Beyond the Mountains questionnaire to re- to reveal your true mountain self. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to take my questionnaire? I'm ready. All right. First question. Vegemite, hell yes or hell no? Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, as I ask these questions, just uh, quickly think of the question and answer quit straight away. No, okay. think about it. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Perfect happiness is content, content, to be content. Do you have a motto for living? Um, work hard, play hard. All right. What's your favourite word? <laughs> um, hmm. Favourite word? Mobility. Right. <laughs> What's your favourite swear word, your curse word? Uh, putain. Putain, yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have a favourite sound or noise? Uh, yes, my dog taking a deep breath. All right. What scares you in the mountains? Um, getting lost. lost. <laughs> What's the last piece of equipment you've bought? Um, hmm, probably ice axe. Ice axe. Lightweight. One word to describe the mountains. Vast. What's your favourite season? Autumn, if it's sunny. Yeah. <laughs> this, time, this time of year is amazing. I love the, I love the autumn colours. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite mountain? Favourite mountain. Um, I don't know if I have a favourite mountain. Do like you have a, a favourite sun- place in the mountains? Yeah. Hmm. Can we come back to that one? Yeah, we can come back to that. <laughs> uh, what's a good day look like? A uh, good day looks like getting up early. I like to start early, get into the mountains and finish by 2 o'clock and then go to work. All right, that's not bad. <laughs> uh, what's the best piece of advice someone's given you? Um, oh, God, that's a hard one too. <laughs> Uh, best piece of advice someone's ever given you. Actually, my it was my mother who got me into uh, doing what I do. Yeah. So she's the one who was like, I think you should become a massage therapist. So, and that's um, benefited me obviously massively. So that was the best one. All right. Uh, what's good about living in the mountains? Uh, what's good about living in the mountains is the mountain people, being here with flexible, casual, uh, motivated people. What's bad about living in the mountains? Those people can be a little bit flaky. <laughs> what's the most Aussie thing about you? Um, hmm, what's the most Aussie thing about me? I like to use words like servo. Yeah, servo. <laughs> and my boyfriend's French and he Bon-lo. has no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> Although he's, uh, he's learning those words now. Uh, what do you always have in your backpack? Um, head torch. Head torch. Your first epic tour or epic adventure or expedition, how did it go? What was it and how did it go? 
my epic first epic sort of area I went to was Argentina. And we did the Poissonot, which is next to the big peak there. And it was my first experience of hallucinating just from lack of sleep. Wow. <laughs> so that what did was, you see? Uh, you just sort of go into exhaustion and you just sort of, your brain just makes up stories. So you just, you know, all of a sudden you think you're in a nice warm place with you know, people around, usually people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was my first experience of being so exhausted, being like, how long is the longest sleep-deprived person can go for before they die of sleep deprivation? Yeah, so that was a really tough one. All right. Um, what's one of the most beautiful places that you've either hiked, skied or flown? Uh, sorry, repeat that. What is one of the most beautiful places you've either hiked, skied or flown? Um, I guess my favourite was the Grand Jurass. Yeah, flying off that was super nice. Where's the Grand Jurass? It's uh, here. We went from the Italian side and landed on the Italian side because it was in summer. Um, so it's just out here basically okay, in the backyard. Yeah, yeah nice. Uh, so that one was really nice. It's a super nice launch. All yeah. Right. Your week starts tomorrow. Where do you go and what do you do? My working week? Or no, sorry, my... week, your, your week off. You have a week off oh, tomorrow. A week off. Starts tomorrow. Where do you go and what do you do? Is it this season or uh, right, now. right now? So next week we're off to Saint-Léger, which is so the rain looks like it's coming in around Thursday, Friday, so our beautiful two-week weather window is up. So I'm going to head to Saint-Léger with some friends and uh, go sport climbing. All right. Um, which sport do you wish you were better at? Paragliding. <laughs> But paragliding in a cross-country sense. So yeah. climb and fly is um, is achievable because you're just launching and landing basically. But, yeah, the cross-country component of that, I definitely wish I was. Explain to me more what that the means. Cross -country. So cross-country would be to launch from Chamonix and land or go to um, Annecy, for example, with your paraglider yeah. and fly back. Like to me that just seems really hard. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 that is hard. <laughs> what book are you currently reading? Uh, what book am I currently reading? I am very much so into biomechanics of kettlebells right now. So everything is uh, about movement. So I'm reading a biomechanical movement book about kettlebells. All right. Um, you've had an epic day in the mountains. What's your favourite epic meal or treat? A huge big steak. Big steak? <laughs> Yeah, I'll get on uh, Google Maps and just put steak in the search engine. Yeah, all right. Um, do you like to hike or ski alone or with a friend? Uh, I'm definitely motivated by people. Yeah, I like to have an appointment to go to, so with friends. All right. If you could do a multi-day adventure in the mountains with a famous celebrity, politician or athlete, who would that be? Oh, live for Liv. sure. Right. Yeah, <laughs> live and Seb. Yeah, yeah they're no, pretty they're cool. uh, they're my uh, favorite clients and favorite professional athletes. They're uh, super fun. They're pretty cool people. Uh, last question: What's something you're proud of? Um, my job, I guess. I created uh, a job out of nothing, really. So I just educated myself in what I do. Um, yeah, so I guess I feel like I have created a sex successful job for myself. 
pretty good thing to be proud of. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I thought we'd wrap it up now, but I like to ask the same three questions to all my guests. And uh, the first one is, how does it make you feel when you're in the mountains? Um, how do I feel when I'm in the mountains? I guess free and alone. So it's nice to, it's just a vast open space. Um, but I like to get dirty. I like to be not showering, dirty, um, being with a friend that you have to get along with. Uh, I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge and super fun at the same time. You certainly learn about yourself when you're in a tent with uh, a small tent with someone. Yeah. 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 No, it's fantastic. Uh, freedom to be yourself. Yeah. What do the mountains teach you about life? Uh, you have to be good at suffering. Yeah, that's it. Expand on that. Expand on that for me. Good at suffering. Like I said with the um, sleep deprivation, you are in a situation where you can't just leave. You have to get through it. So you have to be good at suffering. Um, Yeah, so if you're – I think what makes a good mountaineer is suffering, but however that's also a good quality to carry out within your life because life can be a bit like that too. Um, So it helps you create, I think, healthy coping mechanisms. Yeah. And you see, yeah, one of the nice things about coming in from the mountains is you have an appreciation for the just simple things in life like showers and taps and and supermarkets. Uh, so, yeah, the mountains create a fantastic appreciation for life. They certainly do. Mm-hmm. And my last question, um, and I've given you – had, you've had a few days to think about this, but is there a, short, a story you can share about um, one time you've been in the mountains? Um, story, story. So, um, I guess the first time I ever tried to ski Mont Blanc, I, uh, was, you know, 20 something and I was kind of, I just didn't have any ski crampons. So I just crawled, (laughs) crawled across the the glacier from the mid station of the Uguay. Um, so that was pretty funny. And what did you learn from that? (laughs) <laughs> get some ski crampons. So being, being prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I just followed some friends out there. None of us really had any idea about what we were doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but yeah, back to trying your coping mechanisms. Yeah. You just got to figure it out. So I took my skis off and just crawled. Yeah, and did you ski down? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a fantastic trip. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm going to wrap it up there, but if any locals are listening here in Chamonix, how can they get in contact with you? If they want to get a massage, do you have the – what's your website address? Uh, my website site is uh, christyshelley.com and my name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-Y-S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. It's yep. a little bit tricky, .com. Um, yeah, so and it's you're on there. Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I've called myself Christy the Rolfer yeah. on, on social media. Um, yeah. All right. So anyone listening, you want to come in and get a good uh, body workout, body alignment, come and see Christy. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much. No worries. Nice to meet you again. Ciao. Bye. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more stories from beyond the mountains, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please leave a comment and review. It helps with people to find the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond the Mountains Podcast. So please like and follow the show. And remember, the mountains are more than just rock and ice. 
but the mountains are made up of the people who live, work and play in them.